You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, 2-22-22. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Coming up after the BBC headlines, she's calm, she's cool, she's focused. The California Report profiles state Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger, who's on the shortlist for a high court nomination. As crisis looms in Ukraine, allies in the Bay Area worry about the fate of family and friends. California News Service singles out pandemic heroes. And after regional news and weather, Mark Cuniberti delivers opinions about what is driving the course of the stock market. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision to recognize two regions of Ukraine as independent states and send in Russian troops have shocked the world, with many fearing it could foreshadow greater aggression by the Kremlin. Meanwhile, many in the U.S. are stuck worrying about the safety of family and friends. KQED's Cesar Saldana spoke with Bay Area residents with ties to Ukraine. Nick Bielogorsky's family lives 50 miles from the Russian border. It worries me a lot. They're worried as well. But he says they're hesitant to make any drastic moves just yet. They don't want to leave behind their livelihood, their friends, their work, their houses, their pets. It's really difficult to be internally displaced. They don't want to take that step until it's absolutely necessary. Bieligorsky is chairman of Nova Ukraine, a humanitarian nonprofit that provides relief and aid to vulnerable communities in the country. This past weekend, he helped organize a rally in San Francisco where hundreds of Ukrainian activists and allies gathered to protest Russian aggression against Ukraine. Bay Area writer and journalist Zarina Zabrinsky has been covering the conflict for over a decade. I'm heartbroken. I cry often. I feel like flying there. As invasion looms over eastern Ukraine, she's been speaking with her friends in the region. They are stocking up on anything from water to little gas canisters, uh, hygiene and medical supplies. And a lot of people and women, middle-aged women, like women in their 50s, are taking active military training courses to go to the army and defend Ukraine with a firearm. And now that Russia has sent in troops, Ukrainian activists in the Bay Area are focused on fundraising to get aid to families displaced by the conflict. For the California Report, I'm Cesar Saldana. California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger is said to be on President Biden's shortlist to fill the seat of retiring U.S. Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer tells us more about Kruger's career path. When a vacancy on the California Supreme Court opened up in 2014, Governor Jerry Brown spent months searching for a replacement. I was looking for outstanding candidates, men, women, just who is extremely intelligent and an accomplished lawyer. Then, after months of looking... She popped up. As soon as I met her, I was very impressed. Leandra Kruger, then 38 years old, was living on the East Coast, working for the Solicitor General's office in the Obama Justice Department. When Brown nominated her, there was some grumbling that he didn't choose an attorney or judge practicing in California, a criticism Brown brushes off. I don't think you've heard a peep of criticism. Very independent, very well-reasoned, very well-prepared. Born and raised in Pasadena, Kruger graduated from Harvard before heading to Yale Law School. Common descriptions of her? Studious, serious, and focused. She's very quiet. She's reserved, more of a shy 
personality. Melissa Murray was at Yale when Kruger became editor-in-chief of the Yale Law Journal, the first black woman to hold that prestigious position. It was a really exciting moment, a real accomplishment, um, not just for her, but I think we all sort of took great pride in what she was able to accomplish. Murray, who now teaches at New York University Law School, says she and Kruger bonded at Yale over their common family background. Her mother was from Jamaica. Both of my parents are from Jamaica. So I think we initially talked about that. And she'd basically grown up in California, in the Los Angeles area, the daughter of two doctors. In 2014, Murray was teaching at UC Berkeley's Bolt Law School and heard the criticism when Brown picked Kruger, a D.C. lawyer, instead of one working in California. This wasn't a carpetbagging situation. Like, she was impeccably qualified. And this was a governor who I think was incredibly determined to put his stamp on the judiciary, and he did. After graduating Yale, Kruger clerked for Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens, who UC Hastings law professor Rory Little clerked for years earlier. She's kind of unflappably gracious, uh, but also incredibly smart, just incisively smart and perceptive. To me, she's everything you might want in a judge. As a state Supreme Court justice, Kruger has held nuanced, sometimes cautious positions. When the court has been divided, she often joins colleagues appointed by Democratic governors, but not always. But Rory Little says Kruger does not look at cases through a political lens. That is not who Leandra is. She is apolitical. I mean, I, I don't think anybody can find anything in her record where she comments on things politically. Fatima Goss-Graves is executive director of the National Women's Law Center in Washington. She, too, attended Yale with Kruger. She says having President Biden name a black woman to the Supreme Court fills her with pride, whether it's Kruger or someone else on the shortlist. And part of that pride comes from the fact that we have long known many people who would have been well-qualified and would have made the Supreme Court better, but who were never considered. There have already been misplaced criticisms from conservatives who say because Biden has committed to naming a black woman that he's somehow picking someone less qualified, a ridiculous notion given the credentials of the women he's considering. But Rory Little says no matter what they throw at her, Kruger will be ready. She's not going to lose her cool during a Senate confirmation hearing and sort of lash out at the people on the panel. She's not that kind of person, no matter what they say. If Biden chooses her, Kruger will join a short list of Supreme Court nominees who came from state courts, a list that includes Arizona's Sandra Day O'Connor and David Souter of New Hampshire. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. The Los Angeles Unified School District is lifting its outdoor mask mandate for students and staff today. New guidance from the district makes masks optional for those who are outside on LAUSD campuses. LA County lifted its outdoor mask-wearing mandate for mega events and for schools and childcare centers last week. But new Superintendent Alberto Carvalho chose to keep LA Unified's rules in place through the end of the week so the district could more easily transition to the new rule and properly inform staff, students, and parents. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system on the web at chcf.org health-equity. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science, 
to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, February 22nd. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Community health centers, even short-staffed ones, are among the most heroic of institutions when it comes to delivering pandemic-related services. California News Service has the numbers and the details. Community health centers have led the charge against COVID-19, administering more than 19 million shots over the past year. Death and infection rates are lower in areas served by a community health center, according to a study from Morehouse University and the National Association of Community Health Centers. Dr. Ann Gagliotti with Morehouse says the numbers are particularly impressive because 44 percent of centers report being short-staffed. I know that they are hired and they've experienced a huge amount of loss. And despite that, they're still coming to work every day and caring for folks, caring for their neighbors. More than 900,000 Americans have died of COVID-19, including more than 82,000 in California. The state's COVID dashboard shows that almost 71 million vaccines have been administered in the Golden State so far, with more than 82 percent of the population, age five and older, receiving at least one shot. Dr. Mike Witte is chief medical officer at the California Primary Care Association, which represents 180 organizations that run more than 1,300 community health centers in the state. He says health center staff are working to reduce vaccine hesitancy. Community health centers are positioned to help develop trust and then use of the vaccine by virtue of the fact that they are staffed by people from the community who are culturally and linguistically accessible to all patients. A recent study in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that federally qualified health centers are improving vaccine equity, administering more than 60 percent of their shots to people of color. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. In regional news, Nevada County Public Health reports 100 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. This report includes case numbers for Saturday through the Monday holiday. 308 cases are active. 21 people are hospitalized countywide, and an additional death from COVID-19 has been recorded since last week, bringing the total to 134. The Sacramento Bee is reporting today that the latest data show coronavirus numbers in California have fallen almost back to levels observed before Omicron became the state's dominant variant. The daily case rate has fallen to 30 per 100,000 residents, according to today's update from the California Department of Public Health. That is one-tenth the peak of 300 cases per 100,000 on January 10th. The State Department of Public Health reported statewide test positivity at 3.6% today, down substantially from 22.6% at the peak of Omicron. The latest case and positivity rates are each the state's lowest since December 20th, state data show. Omicron overtook Delta as the state's dominant variant the week of December 21st, according to genome sequencing data, after growing exponentially following its first detection in late December. California hospitals as of Monday were treating 5,655 COVID-positive patients, including more than 1,000 in intensive care. Both are the lowest marks of 2022, after more than 15,000 virus patients were hospitalized at January's peak, including over 2,600 in ICUs. 
In addition to improving case and hospital numbers, the bee reports the amount of the virus being detected at several wastewater treatment plants throughout California has returned to levels similar to those from early December before the Omicron variant arrived in earnest. Also from today's Sacramento Bee, Marysville police officers this morning arrested a Browns Valley father accused of leaving threatening messages, including racial and homophobic slurs for coaches because he was upset over his child's position in a game. Todd Andrew Tyler, 53, was arrested on suspicion of making criminal threats, hate speech involving threats, and carrying a concealed gun in a vehicle. Shortly before 7.30 a.m., officers pulled Tyler over near Highway 20 in Marysville. On Sunday, two coaches working for Marysville Joint Unified School District reported the alleged messages to police. Today, Tyler remained in custody at the Yuba County Jail with bail set at $150,000. Hospice of the Foothills will open its new and larger gift and thrift store with a grand opening Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. The Nevada City and Grass Valley stores have been combined into one larger location at 840 East Main Street in Grass Valley that will be open every day. This new store at East Main and Hughes Road will provide room for more merchandise and consistent donation hours. Due to this week's significantly cold weather, Sierra Roots and Nevada County will open the Overflow Emergency Shelter tonight and Wednesday night. The shelter is open at 4.30 p.m. in the lower level of the Nevada City Veterans Hall at 415 North Pine Street and will accept guests until 8 p.m. The shelter will close at 7.30 a.m. each morning. Turning to regional weather... A freeze warning is in effect from 2 a.m. Wednesday to 9 a.m. Friday for the Central Valley and adjacent foothills, with widespread areas of sub-freezing temperatures overnight and in the early morning hours. Take precautions with your plants, pipes, and pets, and check with Caltrans for the latest road conditions before traveling. A winter weather advisory remains in effect until 10 p.m. for the northeastern foothills, Sacramento Valley, Motherlode, and western Plumas County and Lassen Volcanic National Park. Plan on possible snow, slippery road conditions, and reduced visibility. Additional snow accumulations in some areas may be up to 2 to 4 inches. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, the snow flurries that caused spinouts and closed Highway 20 in Nevada City this afternoon will taper off, giving way to mainly clear skies with an overnight low around 30 degrees. Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high of 49 and a low of 27. In Truckee and Tahoe tonight, mostly cloudy with a low of 6 degrees and a few snow flurries or showers. Snow showers will begin to taper off tonight. This week, the high country will see some of the coldest temperatures of the season so far. Anticipate widespread low temperatures into the teens and single digits with below zero temperatures in colder Sierra valleys. Wednesday in Truckee, Tahoe, partly cloudy with a high of 26 and a low of minus 1. In Sacramento this evening, partly cloudy with a low of 32. Wednesday in Sacramento, mostly sunny with a high of 57 and a low of 27. We end our newscast tonight with Money Matters. Mark Cuniberti has some theories about what is causing the stock market to behave as it is. Here's a hint. It's not the crisis in Ukraine. 
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. The markets continue to remain volatile, with a current downward bias being prominent since the start of the year. Investors are likely experiencing the rare but excruciating pain of seeing balances continuing to erode, seemingly in an endless daily parade of red numbers and balances appearing on their investment screens. Much of this, many say, is the fault of policymakers, both in addressing the COVID crisis and the massive amount of money creation given out to consumers and businesses alike to address it. I can't say this is any one person's fault, but I would say much of what we are seeing now in the markets is the fault of many. This analyst has always maintained the position that the COVID virus could not be stopped, that shutdowns did nothing but destroy many businesses and livelihoods, and that shutdowns actually prolonged the crisis. My opinion, of course. But I would say so far, at least on the surface, that belief seems correct. That said, others say shutdowns helped limit the damage that would have been much worse had we not had them. It's impossible to go back in time and take the opposite route that we took and then compare the results side by side. What we can discern is that the current events certainly don't confirm that the decisions world governments made to shut down were the correct ones. The issue believed to be at least partially responsible for the market's current ills are the Russian aggression on the Ukraine border and the worst inflation in decades. Although we have no blame for what Russia is doing, the inflation part is argued to be the cause of overly generous bailout and stimulus programs instigated by Washington to address the COVID shutdowns and slowdown. The general belief, at least as portrayed in the media, is that the Russian-Ukraine crisis is at the forefront of the current cause of the market setback. I disagree wholeheartedly. Whereas the Russian crisis is serious and has taken the spotlight off of inflation and the Federal Reserve's predicted actions to address it, inflation is the real threat and not the Russian aggression. It is, in my opinion, the Russian crisis will pass without culminating into a major event. What the Fed does to address inflation, however, is the real threat to market upward momentum. To address inflation, the Feds will have to raise interest rates. The Feds have indicated, and more seriously so in recent weeks, that they are very concerned about the rate of inflation and will start to raise interest rates as soon as this March. Uncharacteristically, they have indicated at least a 1% increase, with a succession of smaller increases. Following the markets for as long as I have, the fact that they have mentioned 1% as a minimum increase should be taken seriously. Should investors be worried? Obviously, the continued erosion since the start of the year has taken a big bite out of the markets. The markets, however, at least historically, can act positively to a rate increase period once the increases are actually underway. From Kenshu's stats, and as mentioned on CNBC, looking at a sixth period of rate increases since 1988, the results from the start of the interest rate increases until the increases were halted. Information technology stocks gained a whopping 47%. Consumer discretionary, which are luxury non-essential items, were up 31%. Financials up 30%. Industrials up 29%. And materials up 27%. What this indicates is that rate increases by the Fed initially are taken very seriously by investors, and rightly so. There have been many instances where rate increases have initially hammered stocks. However, there is historical precedent that may give some hope to investors that are now running scared. 
Rate increases can lead to a rising stock market once the stigma of a rate increase has passed. As for the Russian crisis, in my opinion, it's likely a non-event, although it is moving the markets at this time. Watching the markets so you don't have to. Remember, past performance is no guarantee of future results. No one can predict market movements at any time. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. Today's newscast expresses the opinion of myself and may not reflect the opinions of this news media, its staff members or underwriters, nor any bank, brokerage firm, or registered investment advisor, and is not meant as investment advice. I hold a degree in economics with honors, 1979, and our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, Embracing the Journey remembers Amigo Bob Contesano. His widow, Jennifer Bliss, talks with host Lori Burkhart Frank about how Amigo Bob, a pioneer of organic farming, chose human composting after death. Anna Swenson, outreach manager for the Washington State business Recompose, is also on hand to talk about the process known as natural organic reduction. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR Community Radio gets support from the Mondavi Center, presenting An Evening with Fran Leibowitz, Thursday, February 24th at 7.30 p.m. Leibowitz is a New York City-styled, insightful social commentator, author, and actor. Tickets at mondaviarts.org. This is Joyce Miller wishing you a safe and warm Tuesday evening and sending out big thanks to everyone who participated in our just-ended membership drive. If you missed out on making a donation to KVMR, please feel free to go online at kvmr.org and hit that donate button with gusto. 